my team meetings. So I have a very mm -hmm. specific team rhythm. We have a weekly stand-up. Yeah. I have a monthly operations meeting. We're a small team, right? I don't need five million meetings. Weekly stand-up, monthly operations meeting, one-with-ones every month with my key direct reports. Then I have sales and marketing meetings because I lead sales and marketing for my business. Somebody else will have the programming meetings. Um, and then we do quarterly strategy sessions where we look at the business plan and then we have like a full two, like twice a year, we'll do a strategy review, a couple of days where we're off site, like for ours is right. actually this week. So those are my big structure rocks around thinking time and execution time. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I'm super excited about bringing you a fantastic lady, uh, Glyne Roberts McCabe. Uh, she has written an amazing book called The Grassroot Leadership Revolution. She is a group and peer coaching champion, high potential leadership expert, keynote speaker, and author. She is the founder and president of an organization called The Roundtable. And uh, some of her clients include PepsiCo. The Juno Awards, TIFF, Tangerine, Indigo, Woodbine Entertainment. So uh, an amazing group of organizations that she assists in developing peer groups. And we spend an enormous amount of time talking about coaching, talking about peer groups, talking about things that she's learned in a decade of incredible uh, success uh, in leadership. And uh, we dug into lots of lots of amazing uh, things. We dug into her book and we dug into the value of peer groups and how do you create a successful career? What are some of the problem points? Where are ways that you can get off track? Where are ways that you can get back on track? And she shares a bunch of amazing examples. And I just know you're going to love this podcast. So please listen. And you know what I'm up to is we are up to looking for amazing people for our program. We have just in the process, just completing just the amazing summer of 2020 for us, despite this incredible pandemic, we've just had an incredible year of development and coaching and, and learning for the leaders in our organization. And so if you know any amazing leaders who are looking to really step up their game, like Glyne supports her people and her organizations, please send them my way. Okay. You can go to chris at leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. You could send me an email at that email. And again, have a fantastic day. And thanks so much for tuning in to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. So Glyne, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Super excited to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. No, well, thanks for coming. So um, as you know, we have a whole amazing group of leaders, young leaders. So before we dig into sort of the really neat book and the cool things that you're up to, I'd love to sort of, you know, just think from an entrepreneurial perspective, how did you know that running a business was for you? What were the signs? Um, I think the fact that by year two of being employed, I could barely tolerate my boss. So when you go through that pattern <laughs> three or four times in a row, you have to ask yourself, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's me. I always used to say I was like a star employee in my first year because I was figuring things out. And then by the second year, I kind of had my game down. And it was like, right. what do you mean you're telling me what to do? So I think for me, um, that was probably the really big early indicator. And, you know, when I look back, you know, I think so much of our, um, the way we were brought up shapes those views. And my dad really taught us to question authority. You know, he was one of these guys that was like, don't just follow along blindly because somebody with a bigger title or a bigger position. And so I think when you have that sort of questioning of authority mindset, it right. may not bode well for you to be employable. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and certainly in the some types of organizations, right? Yeah. Some types of organizations want 
entrepreneurial entrepreneurs and great, sure. take this responsibility, charge on line, Chris, sure. go, go forth. But some, some people don't want that. Don't, you know, they want structures and systems and yeah. processes. And like you said, they want to tell you what to do. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. And I think the thing sometimes too, though, you have organizations that think they want entrepreneurs, but they actually don't. They, right, they right. you know, as soon as you start pushing the envelope a little too far, they, they kind of shy away from that. So I think, I think you raised such a good point. It's so important for you to know yourself, really. Like what's yes. your, what's your drivers and what are things that are going to be important to you? I always say I'd be the, I'm the best employee as long as you give me my sandbox, you know, like as long right. as I got my sandbox to play in, I'm a great employee. But as soon as you start, you know, needing me to water down what I think is the right approach or kind of, uh, you know, pull away from being able to innovate or be creative, I'm probably a pain in the butt. So right, right. <laughs> Best to move on. Yeah, no. And, and I think, I think companies are worse off that they can't have high performers, mm. but if they can't like, you know, that's my thought, but, but again, I don't run a huge company. So, you know, they, they're sometimes looking to do something different, but tell me about the round table. Yeah. I know you've been, that's your main business now. And yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, so the Roundtable is an organization. I like to say what we do is we help leaders navigate change, disruption, and growth. So whether that change is that you've just been promoted and now you've got a whole bunch of new scope or disruption, your company's been sold, you've got a new management team you're now reporting into, or you're on a super fast track and you've gone from running a team of 10 people to suddenly your team's doubled or tripled. So lots of ways that, you know, as leaders, we're going through these changes. And um, what I know for sure about leadership is that it's hyper-situational, right? So right. what allows us to be successful in one situation is going to allow us to stumble in another potentially. And so I, I, we're all living this example right now, actually, with this COVID pandemic that's going on. Right. Right. So all COVID is, is a situation that's been forced on all of us. And so how we show up as leaders we might need to adjust depending on what our kind of approach and preferences are. So that's what the roundtable really does is we help leaders kind of understand from the inside out, you know, what is your preference? What's your approach? What are your, and then we kind of meld that into what are your ambitions? What are you trying to do? What's your legacy going to be? And then the way we help people kind of navigate, and I think of it as finessing their approach. We're basically taking very successful, we work primarily with the top 20% in an organization. So, you know, I think you use the word high performer, high potential. Right. We take those people and that's who we're working with, but it's over time. And so we kind of use a model that's a little bit, some of your listeners may be familiar with like a mastermind model. And that's kind of the model that we use. We call it group coaching. It's where you're getting together. You're with a group of peers. You're working on things together over time. And so that's what we do at the round table. We do, you know, a bunch of things, but they're all kind of based around this concept of, leaders coming together, learning about themselves, but then also going on this learning journey with each other to help them really be able to sort of navigate any kind of, uh, you know, leadership situation that may get thrown at them either now or in the future. Oh, that's fantastic. And so one thing that we love to talk about mm. at the leaders of tomorrow is failures and mistakes, <laughs> you know, just because again, you're going to be a leader, you're going to make, make mistakes, you're going to have failures. And so I would love to know, you know, again, any that you're willing to share or also how do you look at failures and mistakes? Yeah. So on the willing to share front, I mean, how much time do you have here? Because we could probably be here for a very long time um, and then think of failure. So I think that, I mean, have I made failures? A ton. And I mean, I think I, I could talk about failures that I've made where if I could go over and do a do different, I absolutely would. You know, oh gosh, I, wouldn't, I, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish yeah. I hadn't, have, you know, made that decision. Right. So there's always those things that you learn. I mean, I think the reality of leadership, I always say to people, you don't learn leadership in a binder. You can sit there, you can take all the courses you want. You can hear everybody tell you about, you know, this is how you fire somebody. This is the best practices for giving performance feedback. Yeah, all of those things. Hey, this is how you delegate stuff. Until you go and do it, you do not know how you're going to be showing up in that moment. Right. Yeah. And so when I think about um, how do I view failure, I actually don't view failure as failure. What I what I view it as is a learning opportunity in this context of what we're talking about, which is leadership. It's like it's right. a learning opportunity. I'm not failing. What I'm recognizing is I'm now in there's a blind spot that I had about myself that I didn't yeah. really know. 
And now all of a sudden I've shone the light on that. Failure to me though is if you discover that and you choose to do nothing about it, right? So yes, if I yeah. think about, you know, one of my um, failures or opportunity areas as a leader is that I think I'm a pretty classic entrepreneur. Like I think one of the things that probably a lot of entrepreneurs would, would relate to is this notion of like, we kind of jokingly call it the shiny object syndrome, right? Like you got, you yes. have so many ideas, like you're just a possibilities yeah. person. You can see all, all kinds of ways to innovate and do things, right? That's an awesome strength. And I think this is where people trip themselves up is that, you know, all of our strengths have corresponding liabilities. They have something attached to them that is going to weaken our, weaken that strength right yes and so when we overuse that strength we become less effective and so when i'm overusing that strength what that looks like within my team is it looks like disorganization it looks like i don't have a focus my team gets confused they don't know what the priorities are because i got so many ideas they feel yeah. burnt out because my pace is also very fast so you know is that their fault that they're not keeping up with me or is that me not managing yeah. that dark side of my upside so to speak yes. right so i think that's where you know and so i'll see leaders that get all this self-insight and they go well i know i'm this way well i know i'm that way they know it they don't do anything about it though to me that's failing that's failing yeah. as a leader because the whole thing about leadership is you know really like we've got this awesome opportunity to you know right. impact the lives of other people and if we're you know not at our best or, or striving to be the best that we can be by taking this learning and acting on it, I think we're doing ourselves and the people with us a bit of a disservice, honestly. So no, I feel I feel the same way and definitely have been hurt, especially early in my career by the chasing the shiny new objects. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. So what did you do to create more structure or more focus in your life? Yeah. Uh, you know, so how did you handle that? Yeah, it's a great question. So I mean, for me, I mean, first is like a getting that self-awareness was huge for me because I would right. get really bothered by the fact that my team couldn't keep up or I'd be constantly feeling like I was having to repeat myself or, right. and so I think once I had, and so I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, self-development, get as much insight as you can. So for me, a big awareness was doing a 360 and kind of seeing that. And so one of the things that counters for me, that high energy ideating energy is to put in place structure. So yes. if I can slow myself down with structure, and so there's a few ways I do that. I mean, one is I have to make structure a no-brainer because it's not where I like to go. I hate I, sure. I hate being bound yeah. by structure, right? But yeah. I'll do it in things, uh, like a few examples I could give you is my team meetings. So I have a very mm -hmm. specific team rhythm. We have a weekly stand-up. Yeah. I have a monthly operations meeting. We're a small team, right? I don't need 5 million meetings. Weekly stand-up, monthly operations meeting, one-with-ones every month with my key direct reports then i have sales and marketing meetings because i lead sales and marketing for my business somebody else will have the programming meetings um, and then we do quarterly strategy sessions where we look at the business plan and then we have like a full two like twice a year we'll do a strategy review a couple of days where we're off site like for hours right. is actually this week so those are my big structure rocks around thinking time and execution time right and mm that is in place and what that does it forces me like when i'm going into an ops meeting i'm not going into the ops meeting going okay so what are we going to do in 2021 guys no, i'm going into the ops meeting going what were our results in the last 30 days what are we going to be doing in the next 60 to 90 based on our plan where do we yeah. adjust but i'm not sitting in there adjusting and so then the other thing that i do is at the end of every meeting I do a check because I do have a big appetite. I'll take on a lot more than we can really do. So we have, a, like I make it, and I, I'm very transparent about that with people that work with me. At the end of every meeting, I'll stop and I'll, and I'll be the one to say, okay, guys, what do we need to take off here? Like what have we, what have we right. you know, put on the list that we need to be taking something off the list? So I think you, like whereas me personally, I just keep everything on the list and just go for it, right? Like, you know, if you're asking <laughs> exactly, me, well, yeah. we'll do. but that, so I think you have to sort of think about it. And then the other thing that I do, which is really the beauty when you are in a leadership role is I hire people who like structure. So yes, I hire exactly. people that are, you know, that's their zone of genius. You know, it's not yes. mine. I'm not interested in it. So I think, you know, there's a number of levers you can pull. I think if it's not your, strength and it's not where you get energy from then make it a no-brainer put in things that you can like my one with ones we have a structure for the one with one but my team members drive it like i don't they come in to the meetings 
with their stuff ready to go for me. So awesome. anyway, a couple of tips there. Yeah. And it's a coaching conversation for you, yes, right? And they're 100%. driving it. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's your genius. It's yeah. your genius. It's your, it's, it's what you love. It's what you're doing. And then I think you're right. It's building teams really effectively, yes. right? It's like, okay, you know, you can only have one of you, yeah. you know, or so much, right? Yeah. Or, or they, you know, you've got to have them in different roles. Oh, value creation over here, yes. right? So yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. And uh, I, I took some stuff, you know, because that's something we don't do. What do we take off the list? That's something I'll put. 100%. Yeah. So I know you've gone out and written an amazing book. So what was your inspiration around behind writing uh, The Grassroots Leadership Revolution? Yeah, so the Grassroots Leadership Revolution is really based around our anchor program, which is a program called the Roundtable for Leaders. And it's this 11-month program where groups of leaders, groups of eight, get together mm -hmm. and they get to kind of set a goal for themselves around the kind of behavior they want to develop in leadership. So it's really about how they want to finesse their style. And then they come together and they go through a series of uh, different kind of, we call them coaching clinics. So different topics that they can deep dive into as well. We teach them a method, peer coaching method, mm -hmm. to um, help them up their coaching skills, but also get coached on real-time burning issues, right? So right. I think a lot of leadership development programming is based around theoretical case studies. Let's look at this scenario. And I think today it's just too fast. Like we, we don't have time for academic yeah. conversation. It's really like let me get into what's going on in my life right now, right and, now. And, and let's go, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the structure. And so what I wanted to do is sort of take that and, and create a DIY guide for leaders mm -hmm. that maybe are in organizations where maybe their organization isn't doing a whole lot of investment in leadership. I also think that, you know, organizations tend to, my observation is, you know, they have their definition of what a high performer is, or they have their definition of who's going to go through a program. So if you don't make the cut and you're seeing that what are you going to do? Are you going to wait for somebody to look after your career for you? So that's why I called it the grassroots leadership revolution was this idea of create your own, you know, career yeah. path, you know, grab it yourself. Don't wait for your manager. And we know, yeah. like, I mean, the number one reason most of the time that comes up why people leave their jobs is not money. It's relationship with their boss. So yes. you may not have a relationship with your boss in a way that's going to look after your career for you. So that was really the reason why I wrote the book was I thought I want to help more people. I've seen how powerful this has been for the folks that have been able to go through our program. And um, so I sort of took some of my favorite exercises from the program that we run and oh, I put fantastic. it into the book so people can uh, yeah, do it themselves, create their own peer group and take charge of their career. No, that's fantastic. And and I, I know we've spoken, you know, before the podcast just about, I, I've been in a peer group for 25 years yeah. and it's just been such an enormous value for me and my life, my personal life, my business. And, and, and like you said, just being able to go and learn from others, see, see what's, see what's not working for them, you know, yeah. help them be a blind spot finder for yeah. you. So what, what makes you so passionate about peer groups? Yeah, I mean, like you, you know, I, I uh, when I worked in, I was running a consulting firm when I was in my early 30s, and my boss at the time was a member of YPO, Young President's mm. Organization, and he was always talking about the value he was getting from peer groups, and that was the first time I'd ever really kind of heard of a peer group, right. and I thought, where's the one for me? And there, and you know, there were at that time there really was nothing going on for what I would describe as mid-career, mid-level kind of leaders, like if you're a VP or a director or somebody, there was no kind of peer group for you. Yes. So a friend of mine had thrown together a mastermind group and I got involved in that. And I just got like, to your point, I got such huge value from mm -hmm. being around other smart people who knew their yeah. stuff. And, and I guess like, I'm a generally pretty impatient person and I just kind of like to shortcut my learning really fast. And I think yeah. what I saw, then I started doing research and I saw that entrepreneurs had had peer groups for decades, right? Yes. So, yeah. and um, business owners had access to these things. And I always think, okay, if it's working so well in other pockets, it's going to work here too. Sure. And why don't we have it? So that was really sort of the reason behind it. And I, I felt like in leadership in corporate, you know, in, in uh, organized, in more kind of traditional organizations, you know, it's, everybody always talks about it. it's lonely at the top. And I think it is lonely at the top for sure, but it's also lonely when you're in the middle. All kinds of levels Definitely. of leadership are lonely. Yeah. And, and as you're transitioning up, 
Yeah, I feel the same way. The lonely at the top. It's all a story, anyhow. Yeah. So it's it's it doesn't have to be, and again, or it can be anywhere. And yeah. and again, the biggest thing is it's lonely anywhere. I can't go have a conversation. Totally. And what you're doing is here, put the power in where it all it always is yeah. with you. Yep. So that that you can go be responsible, go be accountable, and then let's go develop a a peer group, which is so awesome. So. Well, I think traditionally too, like in in the leadership development space in particular, which is so fascinating, is that you get all these people who are gurus in leadership and they've got great models and great theories and they stand up there and it's this very much like, you know, we, we kind of call it the sage on the stage, right? We're all yes, going to learn yes. from your wisdom. And I think in my mind, we were totally underestimating the power of tapping into the wisdom of other peers, right? There was yes. no, I think until we came along and, and kind of created our business the way we created it, there wasn't this platform for leaders to get together and actually share and learn from each other. And, and that to me seemed crazy because mm-hmm. you, as I said, you learn leadership by doing it, right? So yes. why yeah. not talk to other people that are actually doing it, you know? Yeah. And doing similar things because yeah. we, we actually teach our leaders and our business in a similar way facilitated. So how you how do you do that and explain that and and so then again the only way I can become the best Chris Thompson I can be is st- st- from my space. Yes. And then I can learn someone else having that same conversation. Oh, I'll have it differently, but oh, that helped me because yeah. they said it this way, right? And that's part of what a peer group will do. And you can see real advantages in having that right in a company, yeah. you know, not only for de- de- leadership development, but that company yeah. will grow more su- successfully just in, in sharing ideas and wisdom yeah. amongst the team. And haven't you found, Chris, too, like when you've been in your peer groups that, you know, you, you have people who just totally approach the issue from a completely different way than you yes. ever would have thought about it, right? Yes, for sure. Yes. Like, it's like, that's the part for me that I always find so fascinating is that you just get this this richness of experience and perspective that you you don't get when you're sitting in a in a classroom like a traditional like when we develop leaders we usually ship them off to a classroom where they kind of sit there and maybe they get to talk about their stuff but they're really only hearing from the expert at the front of the room and their opinion right which is Mm -hmm. one person with one set of opinions right which i love the diversity you get with your groups so in your book you cover some key areas that are important for leaders to consider tell us about that yeah, so I sort of, I broken down the book into, um, you know, kind of my, I think I told you sort of like the greatest hits from our roundtable program. But for me, there's kind of three core awareness pieces that you need to really think about as a leader. And then, then there's a whole piece around how you sort of think about your leadership legacy and, and the impact you're going to make, which most people don't pay attention to. So the three kind of core areas that are in the book that you know, groups can go through together. One is around your values. So really, I think understanding your core values, leadership, being a human, like it is so critical to understand what your core values are. And we can kind of deep dive deeper into that if you'd like, but core values is number one for me. Number two is understanding your strengths because a lot of people will tell you what you're good at, but the reality is like a strength defined. And I sort of take the Donald Clifton uh, who wrote the book, Soar With Your Strengths. I take his version. Strength is really that place where you're good at it, but you also enjoy doing it. There's a ton of stuff I'm good at, but I just can't stand it. Drains my energy. Right. So it's that understanding that strength so that you can really have a career that's fulfilling to you because you're doing things that are enjoyable as well as that you can get better and and achieve mastery at it. Right. And then the third kind of area that I look at in the book, which I think is critical, is this idea of your brand and your legacy. How are you showing up? What are people going to say about you? Because I always, it makes me a little sad sometimes where I'll I'll hear leaders say, well, I can't wait to retire because when I retire, I'm going to give back to this community or I'm going to volunteer for this. I'm going to have more time to do X, Y, Z. And I think, man, every day you're going into work, every person who reports into you, you're impacting their life. And so how do you think about becoming that person that 10 years from now people say, oh my God, once I worked for this guy, Chris, and he totally changed my life. Like he changed my life. Like that's what we get to do every day, but we lose sight of that sometimes, right? So those yeah. are my big three anchor. And then my um, the fourth thing in the book that's super important is just understanding how to kind of set leadership goals for yourself. Like not performance goals, but setting a set of goals that you can have the kind of career that you want to have and not just be 
floating along, hoping your manager is going to find something for you. Or, you know, it's yeah. really this idea of take control, which I think as entrepreneurs, we're very used to doing because we do it for the business. And if, mm -hmm. but, but we know as entrepreneurs that if all we're doing is focusing on the business, focusing on the business and neglecting who we are and what we want, you can have a super successful business and feel incredibly empty and hollow, right? You've got to do both things in parallel, right? hundred percent. And, and, you know, certainly in our organization, we start with values yeah. right from the start, you know, we come out and here's, you know, let us, you know, d decide or, you know, or, or start to choose. Yeah. I'm a big believer in a philosophy, mm. starting to create a philosophy of your life. What, what do you want your life to be about? Really asking yourself big picture questions. And, and so certainly one of those things is, is that the idea of branding, right? Yeah. And I love as well, the be responsible, you know, well, one of the best things I think any young leader should look for is a great mentor. Yes. A great, agreed. you know, who am I going to be working with? And and really, again, choose a, a company that has a fantastic mentor over another opportunity for more money because yeah. you will make more money and you'll feel better and you'll learn more in that role yes. uh, for sure. But sometimes we really don't control that, you know, we're going into organizations. Yeah, but I love what you just said, though, because I find, you know, I think about your career being in stages almost, right? And I right. think when you're in your 20s, it is such a time to take risks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, try things, do things, go places, yeah. work for people and, and find out, geez, I hate that. I thought I was going to like that, but I really hate it. But like, we're so conditioned to find, go for the security, go for the yeah. good job, go into the right. big you know, the branded company or whatever. And then it's like, cause I think that like the way I've always sort of thought about my career is in my twenties, I took a lot of risk. And what I, what I, but what I started to with, without even being intentional about it, like I was sure. very unintentional about it, but it was at some subconscious level I was doing it. I just ended up pursuing what I was interested in. So I used right. to think about the job that I had. This is going to sound crazy, but I used to picture my job like a uh, pie. And every piece of the pie, like a pie you can eat, every yeah. piece of the pie was a different flavor. So I had a slice of lemon meringue, I had a slice of pumpkin, I had a slice of cherry, and all those things represented aspects of my job. And some pieces of my pie, I really enjoyed eating. They were delicious, and other pieces I couldn't freaking stand. And so when I was starting to look for my next opportunity, I started to think about what are the, like, okay, I want a bigger slice of lemon pie next job. I want, I want a bigger yeah. slice of this pie and I want way less pecan pie. And so I started to use that in my own mind as a way to make decisions about what I would apply for next. And so when people ask me, you know, about my early career path and they hear where I worked, it's like, well, I went from being an advertising, uh, you know, advertising, doing layout and design of ads that went into a daily paper to being a fundraiser, to being a membership director, to being a training person. People go, wow, those are all really diverse, but they're not. There's a thread that pulls all of those things through because what I kept doing was pursuing. And I think what you said is so critical for people to think about early stage careers. Don't go for the title. Don't go for the money. Go for the experience. Go for the opportunity to influence. Because what I saw was I saw my friends that jumped into better paying jobs, bigger yeah. titles in their 20s. I triple leapfrog past them in my 30s because yeah. I was doing stuff I got a promoted really fast b I was doing things that I really enjoyed so I was way better you know I was heads and tails above other people because yeah. I was in my zone of genius not because I was anything special but I just yeah. found my niche right yeah well, and again, you know, you go home and you quote unquote have to work. No, I'm going home and I get to work. Yes. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm working on this project. We're creating this for these customers. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Right. That sort of feeling. And that's obviously what a successful entrepreneur feels and someone successful in a business creating value yeah. for people is just, again, the energy, you know, the zone of genius that, that we both so, uh, so believe in mm. passionately. And, uh, yeah, it is funny. And again, I, I, I guess I lost my train of thought. There was something there, but that will go back. So what's your personal favorite part of the book? Um, other than the David Lee Roth quote that I managed to get into that book. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I still have my David Lee Roth posters. My girlfriend bought me a bumper sticker that says, I love David Lee Roth. I still have it at home. My husband will not let me put it on the CRV, but no, 
Uh, I think my favorite part of the book is the values exercise because I personally, for me, that when I sort of deep dove into my values, which was when I was in my early 30s and I was miserable, like I was really unhappy at work. I couldn't figure out why because I actually really loved my company. And, And I'd always sort of been in that spot where I'd worked for places where I really enjoyed it. Uh, but I'd be super miserable. And I finally, I think at my early 30s, I, I thought, i got to break this pattern because I, I know yeah. how to do this dance. This yeah. is how it looks. It's like I'm miserable. I love the company. I don't want to leave, but I feel like I have to leave because I have no choice. And so I had ended up going to the guy that was the owner of the company and saying, like, I don't know what's going on here. I love it here. wish I could stay, but I'm feeling really disconnected. And he had me do uh, this career management coaching program, and one of the components of it was a deep dive into my values. And one of my values, so at that time, uh, the role that I had, I was vice president of business development for this company. And I was wedged between the vice president of marketing and the vice president of consulting. But I was 100% accountable for our revenue target. And I just found it so stressful. I can't even tell you. Like I was, I was stressed out of my mind all the time. I'm like, you know, breaking out in hives and sweats and the whole thing. Right. And um, when I did the values exercise, one of my very big core values is autonomy, independence, freedom. I like to have a ton of variety, right? And I right. also like to be really like I always have said, you know show me the end goal and then get out of my way and let me just run forward. And I realized that that structure was very difficult for me, the constant negotiation over who are you hiring? Cause I got to sell those people. And I don't like that person that you just hired. I don't think they're a good fit for our clients. And how are you marketing our stuff? You're putting too much attention over here and not enough attention on what's going to drive our business. It was ongoing. And so I remember going to my boss and saying to him, look, you know, this is what I've learned. And I think you could try and move the shells around, but it's not going to help me be happy in this role. And it was such a hot, and it was a very risky move because we were pretty, you know, we're like a 70 person consultancy. So not a big firm, not like there was tons of senior roles there. And um, he was amazing though. I have to, I I give him 200% credit because he came back to me and said, okay, look, why don't we let you run one of our divisions then? Why don't you go right. and become managing partner? We've got this division over here. It's not going really well. We can restructure it. You go in and run it. See if you can grow it, sell it, or you know, figure out how to spin it up back into the business and make us more money off of it. And I cannot even tell you, like, so you'd think counterintuitively that being VP of business development when there's three of you in a rank and you can kind of have shared responsibility yeah. would be way less stressful than suddenly becoming managing partner responsible for everything but actually for me being managing partner responsible for everything was awesome it was the it was the best thing that happened to me right and so that independence piece though and suddenly realizing that made me extremely clear on in other jobs why i'd been having the rub what kind of like i i knew from then on i would never do well in a very big you know fortune 100 type company where you know i couldn't get at the table or things like that so you know, it really gives you a lot of clarity over what you want to do with your career path. So I'm, I'm super passionate about the, that values piece because I think it's relevant whether you're a manager or a leader or not. Like really, yeah. I wish I'd known about that in my early 20s. Like I wish I'd sort of had some of those insights because I think it could have saved me a lot of personal pressure and stress that I was putting myself under at that time of yeah. my life. No, it will, you know, like you said, personal development, self-awareness, there's lots of courses. We talk about those in, in this podcast and, yeah. and that's really the, the, the breakthrough for people yeah. It's just to get clear. Who am I? Yeah. What do I need? You know, if I'm not happy, that's a great indicator, yeah. you know, fantastic. Let's not, not be happy for long. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah, yeah, let's yeah, work yeah. on a solution, right? Yeah. Let's work on a solution and just, there's no reason to be unhappy. No. So obviously pure community. How do I create a peer community? How do I go do that? Like if, if my company isn't one of your clients and, mm-hmm. and or I'm not part of an organization like the one that I was part of, how do we go about doing that? Yeah, so I think there's, I, I always think about like three things you want to think through. So one is, 
what's the purpose of your community? I mean, my book is written for people who want to create a peer community to get better at their leadership. But there's lots yeah. of different applications. Like I think probably you and I in our entrepreneur groups that we're both in. I mean, a big part of the peer community I'm in, it's, it, it's kind of got twofold for me. One is I want help growing my business. So it's a lot yeah. of like, for me, it's a lot about, you know, expansion of the business and, and people who can help me think through a lot of my choices around that. And then the other is honestly, it's a bit of group therapy. Like it's a bit of like, you know, especially going through COVID, yeah. I immediately started a peer community with some other leaders that are in the space I'm in because I knew we were all getting crushed. And so yeah. it's been a chance for us to kind of all get together and say, okay, what have you tried this week? What's working for you? What's working for me? Yeah. Da, da, da. And so I think you really, first of all, what's your purpose? Mm. If you're going to use our book as a guide, then it's you're, you're all a bunch of leaders who want to get better at your leadership and you're pretty committed to doing that, right? Yeah. Then you want to think about like, what's your structure? So, you know, I find the rhythm of a peer group something to think about, you know, so I like it to be every months every every month to every six weeks because i find that yeah. gives you a good rhythm you go longer than six weeks you start kind of losing momentum i feel the same and so yeah. thinking about you know what are going to be the requirements confidentiality people's commitment to they have to be at every single meeting i'm in a group right now that is uh it got set up kind of on the fly and they're, you know, we're all from very different sectors and industries. And uh, the guy that kicked it off, he kind of said, you know, like you guys can decide if you want to penalize people for not showing up at meetings or if people miss so many meetings, they're kicked out of the group. I think there's all of that that you just need to sort of talk through as a group and say, sure. what are we cool with and what are we not? And then um, it's really about them recruiting, like who do you want in the group? And as leader, you know, you're going to be the person who keeps the momentum. You know, you need somebody to kind of get it going, set yeah. the meetings and that type of thing. But when I think about who do you want to involve, you want people that really have that kind of high individual drive, but also a high drive to the group, right? So mm -hmm. there's not some people... They're interested for themselves, but they're not really all that interested in giving stuff to the group. There, yeah. and then you've got the people that are all about the group, and um, you know they're actually not interested in sharing their own personal side, which affects a group. Like you need to be yes. able to have vulnerability, authenticity. Exactly. Yeah. Like if all, if five of us are pouring out our heart and soul, and you got one person who's sitting there you know, not sharing anything and then very quick to chime in with what we should all do. There's not that you're not going to develop that trust. So I think a bit about, you know, the, the individual's interest in being part of it and what are they going to bring, you know, and, and mm -hmm. do they, and when it comes to leadership, you kind of want people who come at it from a different angle than, you, you know, so yes. in our corporate clients, when we do it with corporate clients, we say to them, Bring people from across the organization. Get somebody from finance, somebody from marketing, yeah. somebody from supply chain. Get diversity of thinking, diversity of gender, diversity yeah. of race. You know, just yeah. think diversity, yes. orientation. It doesn't matter. You want people who have different approaches. The common thing they have to have, though, is that desire to be part of the group and be willing to and uh, interest in supporting other people. If they don't have that, then it won't work no matter what they are and i think that's yeah. where you see people getting voted you know we call it being voted off the, island, off the right? island yes <laughs> exactly yeah no you know and a group needs to be powerful to remove people from the group totally. and it is uncomfortable yeah and on the other hand if a group isn't willing to stand up for the group the group won't last 100 percent. and i think often that's where you have to i mean sometimes people kind of roll their eyes and be a little bit around the upfront structure but i think that's where the upfront structure is there you set out the expectations we expect you to be here every, if it's once a week or once a month or whatever, that's the expectation. And if you don't do that, if you miss two meetings in a row, you will be gone. Yeah. So if the person misses two meetings in a row, they're not going to be surprised if the group says you're gone, right? Like, yeah. but it's yeah. like, we, we sort of, well, no, we're all grown ups. We're all figure this out. Well, yeah, but right. Like, and, yeah. and you want to, so to me, I always think like, start on the foot you want to end up on. What are the things for you that are non-negotiables? And even yeah. talk about things like, Hey, we all have our styles here. Some of us are kind of chatty. Some of us are kind of quiet. How do we make sure that the chatty people don't overrule the quiet people? And yeah. so having permissions around timekeepers and yes. cutting people off so it doesn't feel uncomfortable. Like I'm in yeah. a peer group right now and the, the moderator is a great guy. And, uh, but he lets everything run for too long. And, but he's working on that. And he said like, hey, Tell me how to do that. So yeah. I gave him some coaching on, you know, here's here's a couple of suggestions for you. Yeah. You know, have somebody yeah. else be the timekeeper. Then you don't have to be the yes. bad guy if you if you don't want to be, right? As the moderator. So and all these structures really are important to find the flow between form 
and yeah. freedom, you yeah. know, and, and it's always, you know, in our group, one specifically, my great German friend, he very structured yeah. and then other are, are some less so. So it's trying to find that, you know, we talk about it. Okay. How are we doing here? You know? Yeah. So, and that's the biggest thing is you communicate, right? And again, you need to communicate up front, you yeah. communicate during, are we good with this? Is this working? You know, and for our leaders, you know, again, listening, this is something really valuable. This is something worthwhile doing. And yes, it's a big commitment. Yes, it takes some time. You know, for me, I've largely been the facilitator over the last 25 years, not entirely, but mostly. And it's a bunch of it has fallen on me. And I know other people have picked up the, in it, different roles and different responsibilities, and it's really made a huge difference in all our lives. Yeah, and don't you think too? Like it's given you, it gives you a safe place to practice this stuff, right? Like I For think sure. the biggest trend we're seeing in organization is the need to have exceptional team coaching skills. Like yes. you know, we, ten years ago we were talking about managers need to be better coaches. Well, now everything's about the team. 80% yes. of organizations work in teams. So yeah. you know what? If you want to hone your chops on team facilitation, learn how you show up in a team, how you deal with conflict within a team, how you deal form groups are the best way to, to practice all of that. Yeah. And you're just going to build those skills. You're going to understand the importance of setting expectations, alignment, all of those things that you know you need to do in a, in a functioning peer group, right? So. For sure. And for me, it's definitely one of my gifts. It's definitely one, something that I love to do. Mm -hmm. And, and, and certainly that's one of the reasons why I'm in the middle of the room, just because it's, it just is you yeah. know, easy for me, et cetera. But that's, that's great. And then you get better at it. Yeah. So even if you aren't, then you, I can try it on and get better at yeah. it. So that's, 100%. that's so great. Hey leaders, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. So why did you call the book The Grassroots Leadership Revolution? So I think, you know, we, uh, maybe we touched on some it already but I think this idea of like I don't know about you but I know for me when when I kind of got my very first job I sort of assumed that you know like okay that was the hard part the hard part was landing the job right like yeah, hey I got yeah. I got employed and then you sort of I sort of had this big lunch bag letdown where it's like okay no. now what okay now what am I <laughs> exactly. gonna do this for the rest of my life holy and so, you know, this idea of, I think we still are very conditioned to think that our organization is going to know what to do with us and kind of run our careers the way we, we, you know, to get the most out of us or the best out of us. And I actually, I just don't think you can rely on that. I think it's so no. much more important that you seize control of your career. And that's, that's sort of the subtitle of the book is the build a peer coaching community and, and own your career is this idea that, you know, start it from where you are with your group so that you are, you know, in shared success with your employer rather than like I see a lot of companies, especially and actually interestingly enough, often the bigger companies that have more of these systems, it's a bit like a machine, right? It's like, Oh, Chris, you're really good at this. So we're going to take you now. And we're going to put you over here. And this is where we get into. Yeah, I'm good at it, but I don't actually love doing it. But okay, I'm getting a title and a bit more money to go over here. Right. Yes, that's okay. Right. And so you see people kind of get shoved around within organizations without playing a partnership role with their employer. And so how do you have these better conversations? And so to me, you know, my husband and I were driving from Kelowna to Salmo to see my younger brother last summer. And my publisher was trying to come up with titles and they had all these kind of, kind of boring titles. I don't know. They're all about peer coaching or something like that. And I said, 
and my husband said, what do you call it? I go, I am sick of people outsourcing their careers to everybody. Like, we got to yeah. get control of this. This we need a revolution. Like, it's a grassroots leadership revolution. He goes, well, there's the title of your book. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I still think, I can still picture, you know, this winding road with all the trees going, you know, out of Kelowna. Yeah. But that was kind of it, was just this notion of, you know, this is your, you got one kick at this can. Like, you might as well, you know. Take totally advantage agree. of it, that's right. And, and certainly, you know, I've been coaching for, you know, three decades, mm. um, you know, in this space where 100%, you always need to be thinking whether you're employed, it's you're just choosing to sell your services to one customer at that time. That's 100%. how we have to look at employment. And that, yeah. that we always need to be looking at what's the next step. And, and again, not with out the knowledge of our employer or whatever, like we, we actually have an incredible relationship with the vast, vast majority of people who come through our organization. And we talk about, would you like to come back? You know, how long are you planning on staying? You know, great. I'll give you, you know, a year's notice in there. Cause there's a legacy as part of our business to train new people. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, just having that conversation, it's just so powerful so that you're with your team helping them decide what's next and it's all good. And eventually more than likely I'm going to need to say goodbye to everyone yeah. eventually, yeah. you know, so that's okay. You know, that's, that's the plan. Yeah. And I think too, like the thing I was saying to somebody just the other day about this whole notion is that when you're not happy in your job, like something's not happy, I really think it's on you to figure out where the rub is. So when I yeah. went to my boss to say, hey, like this independence thing, like I, you know, this role is stressing me out and you can move the shells and it's not going to work for me. I actually had some ideas. Like I said, you know, I think yes. I could be this. I think I could be this. I think I could play yeah. this kind of role in the organization. I'd love to do that. And a couple of them were really about me stepping out of management. I thought maybe I should be an individual contributor. Maybe I could just, you know, maybe that's the issue. And he, so this is where you're balancing the needs of the individual with the needs of the company. When he came back to me to say, hey, let's, why don't you be managing partner? He had a couple of other options as well. Yeah. It wasn't just that one, but it was this idea of he didn't want me to step out of leadership because he saw me as being somebody who he wanted to have that leadership energy at the table. So yeah. a couple of my options weren't really, a, uh, they were kind of a non-starter for him. But right. then he listened to me in terms of this whole need for a little bit more autonomy, a little bit more opportunity to run a whole thing end to end, which was actually what I'd been used to before I joined his firm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that's what we really need to be sort of aware of is that, you don't want to just punt your problem onto your manager's back and give them one more problem. But it's like, if you can go in and say, because what I see is I, I see people really get hung up with like a title or a role that they want to have. Well, I want to become director. I want to become this. And I'm like, that's some narrow thinking. Like what, totally. if, instead yeah. if you had a conversation with your manager, I sit down with you and I say, Hey Chris, you know that project I was on last month, I really enjoyed having to turn something around and yeah. I'm realizing that's something I really love doing. I love getting into the details. I love making the plan. And so if you see other opportunities like that for me coming up in the firm, I'd love the opportunity to be considered for them. That mm -hmm. is a totally different conversation, right? And that's now what you're doing is you're helping your manager go, Oh, okay. This is what Glyn yeah. likes to do. She's so. Yeah. Let me look for those opportunities. Often, when I when I talk to people about having career conversations, they're very they seem very nervous to have them because they feel like if they say something, they're limiting their options. But my own observation and experience is that that's not what happens. What you're actually doing, if, and especially if you're framing it up in the way of, hey, could I do more of this, or I'd love this opportunity, yeah. or I'd like to explore this. You know, and, and at the end of the day, if the company doesn't have those opportunities for you, then yeah. honestly, may, yeah. you can part ways without anybody feeling badly, right? Like we, yeah. we just had somebody leave our organization. What she wanted to do with her life and career was so not what we needed her to do in the role. And so right. when we had that, I call it the come to Jesus conversation about where are we going here? You know, really, she then had clarity about what it was that she wanted to move on with. And Which we could just perfect. go, okay, let's, you know, let's wrap everything up here and you go off and do your thing. And, yeah. you know, and, and there's no hard feelings and there's no people having to be fired and all of those yeah. kinds of things, which I think are just so psychologically detrimental, right? 
And really what you're doing is, Glenn, I so agree with you. You're directing your career. You're yeah. directing. And in fact, as well, like as a, a, we're both entrepreneurs, as an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. You like that. Well, great. We need more of that. Yeah. Let's go find more of that for us. And over the years, I can see, you know, a lot of times we just run our unique process. Just yeah. keep doing it. Keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, People yeah. love that. They want to stay. But there are a number of people who go, I'd really love to do this. And then it's like, well, we need that. Yeah. Great. Let's come do that. Yeah. And uh, it looks like we're creating a new role this coming year in that sort of space. And so, you know, having someone come and do some things that are different, but then they add new capabilities to our business, which is wonderful. And yeah. that's what they're excited about. So it's really, really, again, you, you got to go speak your truth if you want to get yes. what you want in your life. You know, 100%. And, yeah. yeah. And I think too, like as entrepreneurs too, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I've had people that were in my business who are amazing people and they were amazing for what we needed at that time. But the business yes. grows and evolves and the business yes. changes. And is it realistic to think that people are going to grow and evolve in the same direction as the business all the time? Sometimes not. it happens, but yes. many other yeah. times it doesn't. And you know, you want to be able to say to somebody, Hey, you really got us to this point. Yeah. Now, how do I yeah. help you find the thing, find that next opportunity where you can take that talent and help somebody else get to that point, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I, but I think too often we get, we, you know, like our expectations, like for those of your listeners that run their own business, you know, like our businesses are changing, evolving, our expectations of what we need from our team change and evolve. And sometimes I think we, we don't step back to say, am I being fair to this person? Like, am I yeah. setting them up for success, knowing what I know about their talents and their strengths and their interests? Or am I actually forcing them into something that really isn't playing to their strengths? And now I'm getting frustrated because they're not delivering on yeah. what they were, but really, the whole thing's changed because when we were a little yeah. company at being scrappy and trying to stay alive, we needed a certain kind of skill set. And now we're kind For of sure. more trying to stabilize. And, you know, so I think that's what we always have to remember, right? It's like a marriage. No, <laughs> yeah. no that too. So, you know, looking back early career to, to where you are now, founder and president of this large, successful organization, Glide, what did you have to change about yourself? Oh my God, so many things. Um, what did I have to change about myself? <laughs> I think Maybe just the big things. The big things. <laughs> okay, so I'm super impatient because I like to move really fast. And I think you and I sort of joked around, we both sure. have done that Colby index. And yes, I'm a, yes. I'm a quick start. I just, yeah. everything's urgent. It all has to be done yesterday. I like to have 50,000 balls in the air. I drop a bunch. It doesn't matter. I keep throwing more in the air. Right? Like it's a bit of my <laughs> bit of my pattern. And um, so I think what I had to, and I, I would say what I continue to learn, because I think when I think there's certain things that are wired about your personality, and it is your strength. Like it's it is what is your secret sauce. It is the thing right. that gives you your swagger or whatever it is. I think for me, I've had to really work on patience. Like so, right. using my restraints just to like not say anything. Let somebody right. else have the last word. Let somebody else come up with the idea. Let somebody else try their thing. And then yeah. when it doesn't work, not be the person, well, you know, I knew that wasn't going to work. Because I think often, you know, as somebody who can, my girlfriend um, is an innovation person. She said, there's two kinds of idea people. There's people who are idea ants and they just, you know, they're just constantly coming up with ideas. It's like an anthill, 5 million ideas coming out of them all the time. And then there's the idea elephant. Like when an yeah. elephant, you know, is pregnant, I don't know how many years they're pregnant for, but it's a very long time, right? And so when they birth that idea, it is their one precious idea. And so my tendency is not to acknowledge that because I'm an idea ant. I just think everybody comes up with a gazillion ideas. My husband is an idea elephant. So when he presents to me his one idea and I go, well, I don't know. No, what about this? What about this? Blah, blah, blah. He is crushed because I've just stomped yeah. on his baby elephant, right? And so I think that for me, the slowing down, the letting other people have their own ideas and also make their own mistakes. You know, there's a yeah. bit of, for me, I'm the oldest of four. So I think. There's a bit of a, a disposition to wanting to look after people and make sure they yep. don't make too many mistakes. You know, how do you learn best? You learn when you screwed up, right? You, sure. you learn from the screw ups way more yep. than when things have gone well. So I think those are probably my two biggies, right? Let people screw up. Don't be the savior. Stop trying to help everybody because I like to help, right? I yep. like being that coach and teacher. So some of it is backing off 
And then the other big one is just, you know, shut up, shut the duck up, let other people <laughs> have the ideas, stop, you know, yeah, going all over everybody. Awesome. So. <laughs> what key habits would someone want to steal from you? What's the secret to your success? I think one of the things that I, I know for sure I'm good at is inspiration. So I think, you know, we've got four values at the round table and one of them is dream big. And I always think you can make everything be really important. Like whether that was like, if I think about when I was at, uh, uh, you know, the organizations I work for, like when I was responsible for leading the, the team retreat, some people could look at the team retreat as extra work on their plate. To me, I saw it as this, I saw it as this greater purpose, which was, this is a chance to galvanize organizational culture. This is an opportunity to really build relationships, which is going to allow us to be more successful. And I remember at the end of it, like one of my colleagues who was on the group said, you made us feel like this was so important and we were just such an important part of this. So I think that that inspirational piece for me, you know, it's all, I always kind of connect to what's the bigger purpose here. Like I think right. about the work that we do at the round table. I mean, I, leaders have the biggest impact of the people in the organization. If I can make the leader slightly better, I'm making hundreds, if not Everything. thousands of people better. Right. And, yeah. and I think about beyond just the walls of their organization, I think about things that we get them thinking about in terms of social issues. So whether you want to talk yeah. about black lives matter, if it's about yeah. environmental issues, if it's about yeah. um, pushing back on irresponsibility within organizations, all of those things are, way more than like our purpose is not to run group coaching programs that's not yeah that doesn't get me out of bed in the morning so i think that's right. probably like that habit of i'm really big on building teams and galvanizing them into purpose that for me yeah. i i start there with all my teams well we're really aligned there and and also as well when you see really the vision of what you're doing as way bigger, it becomes way bigger Yeah. because you're sharing with each one of your teams this is what it can be it can make you better in your marriage, in, yeah. as a as a parent, as yeah. a brother, as a son, as a daughter, you know, so it's all these things, and then then they're playing that game, right? Okay, let's play a different game. I'm not just playing. Uh, oh, I'm just going to another training that the yeah, company yeah. set up, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? No, this is really important, yeah. right? And then as well, if in our uh, we call our forum uh, pro bono. Uh -huh. where we give our time away for free okay. to each other. Nice. And so, so yeah, it's, and it's great. So we're, we're giving, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's where it is. And again, so it's like everybody's there for each other Yeah, yeah. and you get that that's what happens. Yeah. And then again, it's, it's like, and when there's something and there are something that really comes up and people are there yeah. for each other yeah, and that's yeah. just so powerful, right? To go, Hey, I've got yeah. people who really are there behind me and yeah. I'm really behind other people. And that's a great way to live your life. 100% because so, I think yeah. we're just as a society we've really lost a lot of those community touch yes. points those community yeah. anchor points you know like like I, I happen to live in a neighborhood where I do know all my neighbors like it's, right. a, it's a very high community because people in that neighborhood have lived there for a long time they had little mm -hmm. kids together and so when we arrived it was a very connected neighborhood already, right? But many people don't know their neighbors. They don't know who's yes. around them organizationally. Yeah. You know, what do we cut when times are tough? Well, let's cut the staff holiday party. Let's not have a family picnic anymore. Let's not do yeah. this. Let's do and I think it's, they seem like little things, but that sense of community. And then on top of that, you layer in, we're all pushing for profit and everybody's got big productivity targets and all of these types of things. You know, it's so important that we create these real connections, real yeah. connections. Like I think with COVID, like when, as we're, you know, recording this now, I mean, the lockdown is starting to ease up a bit, but you yeah. know, one of the things that's been a huge issue through COVID is people's mental health and people feeling isolated. And it's ironic when you think we're more connected now, you know, through Zoom and all these, you know, platforms. And yet we have lost sense of, we don't have that sense of community. Right. And I do think these sorts of forum groups really, they give you that community. They give you that group of people that have your, to your point, have your backs. Like when you need yeah. it, they've got your back, right? Yeah. No, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. And hopefully you've inspired a, a group of people through your book and through this podcast and others to actually take it upon themselves. I know we've had a number of past alumni for, through, through our organization who have gone and, and done the same. And, and it's, it's, it really is awesome. Yeah, you know, again, powerful. we're both believers. So final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, Glenn, what do you think of? 
I think leadership is going to change. I think that I think we've been we've been really shifting away from the, rightly so from the kind of the autocratic dictatory yeah. type thing. But I think it's going to go even more extreme. I think the generation that's coming in now, and I'm I'm thinking about specifically, I have a 16 year old. So when I look at my daughter and her friends and how they interact and how social media has really shaped their communication and what's what's okay and what's not okay. You know, I don't even know the answer to this question, Chris. Like, I, I think it's going to be very different. I think some of the mm-hmm. norms that we have in place around what we think it means to be a leader are kind of going to get upended because we've got groups of individuals that are going to start to come into workplaces that place way more value on collaboration and connection yeah. and teamwork and being more of that collective supportive approach to getting things done, which looks very different than the more traditional command and control because when you look at organizations like i think what's starting to be on the rise is uh you know this concept of self-management you look at zappos put in the holacracy approach a few years back you're seeing more of this kind of shift towards you know my friend would call it the adult workplace where you don't need managers you need results coaches get out of the way yeah and allow people to do their job without this sort of hierarchical mindset so i think we're going to see a real um, shift towards that. And I think a lot of smaller entrepreneurial companies with younger leaders are positioned so well to do well in this sort of thing where you see the, you know, the more old school organizations have been around for a long time that are very entrenched in the hierarchy. I think they're going to yeah. have a, I think, I don't think they'll have a hard time initially attracting talent, but I think they'll have a hard time retaining talent because the workplace environment that they're creating is not going to align with the value set of this generation and the way this generation approaches thinking about leadership and work. So we're in for some interesting times. Well, I I think we are like always. Um, (laughs) That's what I've, that's what I've seen. And as well, it's, it's, you know, we're both working on two sides of it, like peer coaching. And then we, we're, we're just coaching and, you know, like that's, that's, they wrote a great book, the, uh, the coaching habit, Brian D'Souza, New York and love, love the book. And we went and got it. And it's like, so many parts of that book, it's, we've been doing it for 30 years. We yes. felt so fantastic about what Brian was, was putting in and, you know, a weekly coaching conversation. It's like, absolutely. That's, that's the basis of our business and has been forever. And it's just organizations. Uh, and now we see all of our alumni, they run their businesses that way, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. just like, how else not, you know, and again, go off, you know, yeah. let, let me know if you got an issue, but more like, Hey, we'll talk next week right? Yeah. or whatever, you know, especially when people become you know, very senior in their roles, et cetera. It's yeah. just so powerful. And again, because I, I'm, I like you don't tell me what to do. I don't yeah. like that. You know? So, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I think most leaders do, they want that power, that freedom, yeah. you know, to be able to really create. But so. I think, and I think the shift, you know, I think, yeah, Michael's book is awesome. The coaching habits is such a great book for, you know, like getting the, you know, seven great questions for using in coaching. I think the shift that we are seeing, though, that is still very individually focused. And I think what we need to start doing is thinking about how do we grow as a collective, right? And so when I think about, you know, um, I was with a team today, and what I was getting all, and this is an executive team, I was getting all of them to share the behavior that they're going to be working on. And they all had to say to everybody around the table, here's how I want you to support this on this behavior. And then the, the idea of this now is that every two months, they're going to come back and they're going to update and they're going to share what's working, what's not working. What do you need to see more of? What do you want to, because we need to grow collectively. It is not yeah. enough just for individuals to be off doing this thing on their own, but how do we start to build this into the fabric and culture of our organizations to really get to high performance, right? So I think that's, to me, where we're going next is, boy, you better have a super strong muscle around being good with like the team, the collective, um, how you, you know, deal with conflict in that environment, how you grow, create a learning culture, all of those kinds of things are going to become huge. Well, that's so great because again, we can only do so well on our own, right? Like I'm blind, but I I had a great day today. I did really well. Hold on. Let's go ask, how did this meeting go? What do you think? Right? Like that's just so powerful. Right. And again, you're, progress is going to be sped up so much by putting that into your organization. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that we know, right, you and I, because we didn't do this work for so long, it's like, it's very easy to know what you need to do. Actually mm-hmm. doing it is something exactly. else. And I don't know about you, but with my peer groups, if I'm committed to doing something, 
And yeah. the night before my next peer session, I have not done that. What do you think I'm doing? I'm busting my butt because there is yeah. no way I'm going into a group of peers and saying, yeah, that thing that you helped me with four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I did nothing you about it. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going there. I might go there once and feel like a jackass, <laughs> but I'm not doing it a second time, right? No, and no. so I think this, I, I think, you know, in high school, we, we talk about peer pressure, but to me, like that's what a peer group is. It's, it's the upside of yeah. peer pressure. It's this accountability and people helping you level up, right? Like yeah. how do you level yourself up? Right. So that's awesome. (laughs) I really appreciate you jumping on the leaders of tomorrow podcast. Uh, You know, congratulations on your new book. I just love how clearly you've communicated today and uh, yeah, it's just been great getting to know you. So hopefully this isn't the first time. Well, it was (laughs) such a pleasure. I feel like we could probably talk for a long time. Thanks so much for having me on and great to, uh, great to spend some time with you today. Continued success. Take care. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now, and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.